The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. How's it going? And welcome to episode 106 of On The Wire, proud member of the Pitcherless Podcast Network. Follow the pod on the Twitter at OnTheWirePod. You can follow myself as well at 80Grade. That's all spelled out. And today we'll be focusing on relievers and everyone's favorite category. That's saves. Everybody loves chasing saves throughout the season. <laughs> so we will be talking plenty about that as we continue our category preview episodes here at On The Wire. Unfortunately, I'm not going to be joined by Kevin Hazen this week. So I figured it would be best to bring in a ringer, so to speak, co-host, to help navigate the cat, this specific category we're talking about. So please welcome Jake Crumpler, co-host of the In the Pen podcast right here on the Pitcherless Podcast Network. In addition to hosting the free baseball podcast, being playing time analyst over at Baseball HQ and the lead baseball writer at Athletes Hub. Jake, man, thanks for filling in the shoes of Kevin today. And how you doing? Doing pretty well. Been a really busy week for me. This is my third podcast this week. We've got three drafts going on simultaneously in the slow draft format and just pumping out articles as well. It's been a really busy time, but that, that that's what you expect in March as a fantasy baseball analyst. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I purposely wear headphones while I do the recording so that if any of my draft rooms go off, nobody, you can't hear it in the background. But if you hear me making groaning noises in the background, it's probably because I got <laughs> sniped in a draft. So we'll deal with that as it comes up. Yeah, my TGFBI draft's still not over. I still have two wow. or three picks left there. I haven't been tracking to see if we're like in the slowest one, but we've got to at least be in the, the bottom 10 percentile, I would assume. Definitely. If we had those little sliders, those savant sliders, ours would definitely be on the... <laughs> First percentile in, in yeah, exactly. draft speed. Yeah, I think that's about right. All right. Like I said, we brought in Jake as a ringer co-host, but that's not enough, to, especially when we're talking about bullpens, relievers, and the saves category. So to help us break down this specific category, we're also bringing in our special guest, Doug Dennis. You should already be following Doug on Twitter at DougDennis41. He's the lead bullpen writer at Baseball HQ. And he's been analyzing relievers for over two decades, so we're very lucky to have him helping us break it down today. Whatever relievers can bring to the table, whether it's saves, ratios, what, whatever they can bring. We'll get into all that a little bit later, but right now, Doug, I'm just happy to have you, man. Thanks for joining us. How you doing? 
Yeah, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. You make me sound super old over two decades of Lord, that's ancient sounding, but yeah, no, really happy to be here. I'm with you, Jake. It's a busy time of year for sure. I'm glad my TGFBI is finally over. It always feels forever, especially when it's starting out and you're like, okay, we're on pick four. Hour two. Come on, dude. Pick your fourth guy. It's not that hard. But yeah, I'm glad, <laughs> glad that's over. Uh, got Tout Wars uh, next weekend nice. in New York. So that's kind of exciting and kind of getting prepared for that. And so, yeah, it's a good time of year. That's one of those things where it's like there are some major industry drafts happening anywhere between the end of February through into March. Tout, obviously, labor already finished up as well. It's one of those things where it's like if your TGFBI draft isn't completed by the time your Razball draft, your Razball draft starts. That that's like a measurement of like how things are going. And if your if your if your TGFBI draft's not done by the time you go to tout, then we're then we have issues. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, without a doubt. I averaged six seconds in my TGFBI, so I held oh, it. Holy, there you go. Do you even have a job? <laughs> just put it on. I was like, no, we're within five picks. I'll just put five guys down and I'll get yeah. into them and don't worry about it for another day and a half or whatever long it is. I try not to, but I'm definitely guilty myself of like, all right, I'm on deck. Okay, cool. I got these two guys. I could put on auto, but I'll just, I'm free. I know I'll have a pick soon. I'll just come back in when my little announcement comes on my phone. And then an hour later, I'll go, oh, crap. <laughs> I'm that guy now. I do my best, but I'm definitely not at the six second mark, Doug. I commend <laughs> you for that. That's uh, that's impressive. All right, guys, we let's get into some news. Some news has happened, obviously, in the last week since we recorded last. Jake we, and Doug, we got some starting pitching injuries. Surprise, shocker, shocker. We're about two weeks into spring training and starting pitching is starting to go down. Jake, we'll start with you here in New York. Mets are going to be without Jose Quintana for a little bit as he was diagnosed with a fractured rib. Ouch. And so my question to you, are you team David Peterson or are you team Tyler McGill for that open spot? Or are you team field? Is there somebody else that the Mets could squeeze in there rather than those two guys? Who are you looking at to fill that spot? I'm definitely looking at one of those two guys. There's sort of two ways to answer this question. Who do you think the Mets will choose to put there? And who do you want the Mets to put there? I think the Mets will put McGill. He was the opening day starter last year. You got to feel like they prefer him over whatever other option they have there. I know they were forced into having him as the opening day starter last year, but they seem to have some confidence in him. I want David Peterson to be in there. The slider he's got is absolutely crazy. He's seems like, a guy that could really break out this year as long as he reduces the walks a little bit. So I'm team David Peterson. I've been wanting to draft him in these deep 15 team drafts that we've been doing across the fantasy industry, but I just haven't been able to get myself to do it. Cause I didn't think he would have the rotation spot, especially still competing with McGill for that sixth spot. But now that he does have a shot at winning that over or is the clear sixth guy, if McGill takes it, I'm really enticed to take a shot on him towards the end of drafts or even earlier because he's got a big chance of breaking out. Regardless of skill set, Doug, do you agree with this? I tend to agree that Peterson might actually be the guy. Just be, if for no other reason, Quintana was the only lefty in that rotation and Peterson's the only lefty that they have really as an option to fill that spot. Do you go in the same direction or do you, are you more McGill? I'm no, I like Peterson to actually get it over McGill for that lefty reason. But I would tell you, 
The thing that I will, this is mean. Sorry, Jose Quintana. I actually think Peterson's <laughs> better than you. And so this might actually help the Mets. Sorry, but I think it helps the Mets. They might actually be better with Quintana sideline. I like Peterson in the rotation. I've taken him in a couple of draft champions leagues and I'm super happy about I'm actually I'm super happy about Quintana. <laughs> <laughs> I'm super happy that I've got Peterson there. There you go. That's and Gil. I think Gil's really good too. But I think it's the lefty need that they have or feel like they have that may give him a leg up and now. But man, I think the Mets might be better by subtraction. <laughs> yeah, that's how that works sometimes. Yeah, I think it's just the lefty, the southpaw, and I'm just. They also, the Mets also don't have a day off for quite a while. They start off with eight straight games. Whoever gets that spot is going to get at least two turns in that rotation to start the season. And I would venture to guess, especially with four game, a four game stretch with Miami, they're going to want to put a lefty in there in that first series. So I think that you're going to get starts out of whoever fills that spot, which yes, I tend to agree that it's, it's probably going to be Peterson. In LA, Doug, we have... Tony Gonsolin going down. He rolled his ankle. Looks like I believe it was a, ended up being a sprain. He's going to be out for the start of the season. Not so much what is your – feel free to give me your take on Gonsolin, but I'm more interested in wh- how you think the Dodgers are going to fill his spot in their rotation with all the young guys that they have coming up. They're all in spring training. They're all p- – pretty much performing pretty well where do you think that they might do more of a uh, piggyback situation so that they can limit their innings from the get-go or do you think they're going to give it to one guy I think they'll probably give it to Ryan Pevia, but I don't think they'll have a quick hook. It'll be like, okay, Pevia, go give me three great innings, and then we'll go from there because they have so much depth. They're, they have depth at the starting. They got depth for relievers. And they don't have to rely on somebody giving them seven innings. They can see how it goes. But he's been pitching really well since he's in spring training so far, and he's a high thought of guy in their, in their farm system. So I think he's probably going to be the guy. I've seen Bobby Grove mention. And I just find that amazing. Like Bobby Grove, where did you come from? Like you came out of nowhere, like a meteor or something. But <laughs> he's good too. What they may do is, but I just think they'll only have one of those guys on the opening day roster and it'll probably be Pep. And he, you're going to see all these guys at some point or another during the season anyway. It's not of Gonsal and didn't get hurt. They'd never see the light of day. They'll all get turns in there somewhere along the way because that's how the Dodgers play it. Jake, are you willing to uh, stash any of these other guys? We're talking about Bobby Miller, Kevin Stone. Guys are not on the 40-man. They're at spring training. They got their invites, and they're all performing pretty well as well. But to Doug's point, Pepio and Grove have really stood out. They're on the 40-man. They have obviously have some major league experience under their belt. The Dodgers have a history of having Dodgeritis. All their pitchers get Dodgeritis at some point during the season. Do you see the situation where... Either one of these other guys, Pepio or Grove, could run away with a job and kind of hold back the other guys? Or you think the Dodgers aren't going to have any of that and they're just going to make sure all these guys get a look throughout the course of the season? There's definitely a shot that they go with a multitude of guys in that role. Like you said, they're known for using a plethora of starters throughout the year. And the fact that they have so many young guys feeds that narrative that they could go with a bunch of different guys throughout the year. I think Pepio obviously is the favorite. He threw over 120 innings last year, so you could see him pushing 140 this year, which could mean that he holds the role throughout the year. And he was really good in the minors last year, like 2.56 year A and a 31% strikeout rate at AAA. So he seems to have the best skills. But outside of that, I don't think I have a favorite. 
probably Bobby Miller. I thought it was funny that Doug mentioned Bobby Grove, that he came out of nowhere. And that's because he did come out of nowhere. You combined Bobby Miller and Michael Grove. That would be quite the picture right there. Problems <laughs> yeah. to old people. I mean, you know, it happens. It's unfortunate. But yeah, so if they could combine those guys into one pitcher, that would be my favorite right there. There you go. <laughs> that would be really good. That's something the Dodgers would do if given the opportunity. <laughs> That's right. And I would go. be really upset. As a Giants fan, that would really upset me. I tend to I tend to agree with you, Doug, as far as they're only going to start off with one of these guys. They have a lot of decisions to make the Dodgers do on their 40-man with the way Jason Hayward's playing. Obviously, with Gavin Lux going down, they, that'll open up a spot. I'm sure he'll go on the 60-man and that'll open up a spot on the 40. But I venture to guess that they're not going to have a whole lot of flex flexibility on that roster, especially on the 40 man roster, which I believe is full right now. I don't think that those guys, Bobby, the actor, Bobby Miller, guys of that nature that aren't on the 40 man are really options at this point until later on in the season. Let's go to Houston. We'll get away from pitching Jake and we'll go to the Houston, I guess, outfield, partially outfield, partially DH with Michael Brantley. Uh, He's been dealing with some personal issues that's taking him off away from camp. No injury this time, nothing of that nature, but it is taking him away from getting himself ready at 100%. Do you expect this to carry over into the regular season? I'm not seeing any specifics, even if I did, not really. I'm not really here to talk about the specifics of why. It's just the fact that he's not there. He's not warming himself up. So is this going to carry over into the regular season in a way that he's not ready to go? And if so, what kind of a domino effect do you think this has as far as playing time goes for other guys in the Houston lineup? I sure hope it doesn't carry over into the season, obviously. I want the best for everybody with their mental health and and personal issues. We saw how that could really go south with Eduardo Rodriguez last year dealing with all kinds of stuff and how that sort of wiped out his whole season. I hope that's not the case for Brantley. He's a guy that I've liked for a long time from a fantasy perspective, from a baseball perspective. He seems like a nice guy too. That's So hoping for all the best for him, but how that really shakes up the team, I think it's a positive for Jordan Alvarez, keeps him off the field, keeps him from getting injured. That's been the only thing that's held him back the last few years is injuries. So I think keeping him at DH is probably the best idea, but it's really unfortunate for the Astros because the outfield is their weakest point Mm -hmm. they just they don't have a lot of depth there this forces Jake Myers into a full-time role where he was going to be the backup center fielder to McCormick and outside of that there's not really too many guys that I'm super intrigued on and where it really depletes the team is on the bench which now they're just going to be featuring a bunch of guys that have not much that don't have a lot of experience. Mauricio Dubon probably has the most experience on that team and he's nothing to get super excited about. So they're going to be running out a bunch of triple a guys, quad a guys that haven't really had a lot of chances on a major league roster. So it really depletes the depth on the team. But if any team is going to be able to deal with some kind of injury like this, it's going to be one of the smarter analytically focused teams like the Astros. Yeah, that's probably fair. A guy that I've been, that I dropped in a couple places in my draft and holds, Yanir Diaz is somebody that I'm keeping an eye on here. Just because obviously they have Maldonado behind the plate and, excuse me, and Corey Lee as their backup. But Yanir Diaz is on the, he is on the 40 man. He he had his little cup of coffee last year, spending most of the time at DH. He's only UT eligible in NFBC leagues just because of that. But if we're going to lose one of their primary DHs, this 
if there's an opportunity besides a spot behind the plate opening up for Houston, this would be the time at least maybe to start the season. I'm not worried about Brantley missing a whole lot of time throughout the season. I just, I'm only thinking about like those first couple of weeks where he's either still rusty because he hadn't spent enough time in spring training and he needs to either get himself right or, and he needs a couple extra days off here or there just because of that, but not so much that he's going to lose a job. I think that would be silly. Yeah. To me, it's pretty murky. It's very difficult to know how much time he's going to miss or how they're going to play it. I do think Dusty Baker's the kind of guy who'll just be like, all right, dude, you're in the lineup regardless. You're going to hit however you hit. It's going to go how it's going to go. He's, it doesn't bother Dusty Baker that way. And he's just, if you're here, you're hitting, get out there and do it. And I think they also think veterans like Brantley, especially ones with great bats ball skills, don't need as much time or effort to get their timing down and things like that. So I wouldn't be surprised if he hardly misses any time, but I, it's so murky and, and, and impossible to guess like when he's actually going to be back. That That's the part that you just don't know. Mm-hmm. So something to monitor, especially if you drafted him in early drafts for whatever reason, think about that before the first fab period, whether or not you need to pick up a backup for that first weekend. All right, Doug, this was a fun one. This is obviously old news. It happened literally probably right after our episode went live. So it's about, we were needed to talk about it. Probably heard some other people talk about it, but I got to talk about this. Mike Musagas, he finds a job, which I'm very happy for him. He signed a minor league deal with the Rockies, of course, because the Rockies are going to Rocky here. He's assumed now to become their starting second baseman with the recent injury to Brendan Rodgers, who's going to miss quite a bit of time himself. What are they? What are the Rockies doing here? And is there any chance this actually makes Moustakis, like viable? I'm assuming I'm giving a very large grain of salt to his health himself. First of all, I'm a Reds fan. So this is actually a very bitter thing for me because he absolutely did nothing for the Reds and they don't have any money and they threw it at him. It's just awful. He's a guy that presumably can defensively play second base. I just never really thought it was that great an idea either. I don't think he's that good at all, like hitting or fielding at this point. I think the Rock, to me, this is what it means. It means that they don't feel like they can put McMahon at second. It probably means a vote against Harris Montero as well. They don't really feel like he's ready to just come and play third base and have McMahon play second. They feel like they panicked and got, who's on the wire? Just, is there anybody else besides Moustagas? No? Okay, we'll just sign him. It's just, it's awful. And the Rockies are awful, so I guess it doesn't matter that much. But if I see Moustagas, like, go off in the first week of the season, I'm going to go crazy. Because he's <laughs> terrible for the Reds for two and a half years. I'm just... Awful. So, yeah, but I think it's a vote against Montero playing. And that so that's an important point, probably. And they also have Nolan Jones, but I don't think they plan on playing him in the infield at all. I think they plan on him playing left sure. field. It's just one of those things where you're like, what are you doing? Now, if, if you know, a fantasy player did this, we'd all laugh at him. Be like, what are you doing? This is just the scheduled tweet that goes out. What are the Rockies doing? You could just yeah. start scheduling these out once a month and you'd probably be in a safe situation. You'd get plenty of comments on those. Yeah, I get that Musaka didn't do anything for your Reds. To his credit, it's not that he didn't do anything. He's that he was hurt the entire time. Like, granted, when he was on the field, he wasn't doing anything either. Yeah, but he it was just on the seemed, field, he was like 0 for 4, 4 strikeouts. Was on the field. 0 for 4, 3 strikeouts. That was 0 it. for 4, 4 <laughs> strikeouts. You're like, oh my God, just put it in play, dude. Like, but something, anything. But, and he was already in a very hitter-friendly ballpark, and so the allure of going to Coors <laughs> isn't really changing anything in this yeah. situation. 
Got to make contact. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Paul's not going to go out of the park if you can't touch it with the bat. Jake, any insight into what the Rockies might be doing here? And actually, you can pass yeah. On this, if you want. Okay. No, I actually <laughs> do. I looked up some stuff about him because I never got the impression that he was going to play second base with all the new shift rules. It takes him out of that role. And I found a tweet from Thomas Harding, which is at Harding underscore at underscore MLB on Twitter. He confirmed that the Rockies are not going to be using him at second base. Oh, they made him. They made an actually intelligent move. Yeah. Yeah. They haven't been able to act yet. They haven't played a game yet. So we don't know that they're not going to do it. But yeah, the Rockies are going to Rocky. This is a classic Rockies move to bring in a veteran when you finally open up a spot for a young, talented player. I do think Montero is probably going to get that role at third base and McMahon will move to second base, which I also find weird moving a guy who was a gold glove finalist off of a position that he was so good at. But I guess that just means that McMahon will probably still be serviceable in the field at second base. But they do have enough young guys right now to actually field a pretty intriguing team from a, I don't know, exciting perspective. It's a fun team and they're bad and the Rockies are probably the the funniest franchise in baseball. Honestly, I don't want them to be good. I want them to continue. (laughs) It's not even like a competitive thing. Like, oh, they're beating the Giants. It's like, I love that they're the sort of the clowns of the league that you just get a laugh at them (laughs) all the time. Exactly. I love making fun of the Rockies. If not the Rockies, then who, right? That's how, that's what's going to come to. Sooner or later, they'll be good again. They went to a World Series. Let's not forget that. Yeah, that was almost two decades ago now, but it's it happened. All right, uh, let's go over, Jake, let's go over to Texas. They're going to be without Leota Tavares for a little bit. He's dealing with a low-grade oblique strain. His status for opening day as well is in question. Is this just good news for those who think Bubba Thompson could come out of nowhere and steal 50 bases for them again, or yeah, at least be on pace for that? Or are you looking elsewhere in the, in the Texas? Yeah, I think Bubba Thompson's probably got the straight shot to that role because they don't really have another guy that can play center field. I think Adelise Garcia could probably do pretty well in center field, but he cemented himself in right and he's got a really great arm that fits really well there. So I don't see them moving him and Robbie Grossman is not really a candidate to play center field either. I, Bubba Thompson's very intriguing, mostly from a roto perspective. He's, I don't think he's good in any other format. He's just great at stealing bases. We'll see how good he is in real baseball as well because his bat just seems noodly, which is I don't know. He'll still have an opportunity. I really like Ezekiel Duran. He's not going to play center field, but if this opens up playing time in the outfield, then I think he would get probably a good shot to show what he can do. I really liked him last year when he made his debut. He's got a power speed combo that is difficult to find. And if he does play some time in the outfield, he'll have infield and outfield eligibility, which is great in every single format. So That's somebody that I'm targeting in really deep leagues and probably putting on my watch list at the beginning of the year. But yeah, you're right. Bubba Thompson's the the clear favorite to take over in center. See, I like Bubba Thompson in a head-to-head format for no Mm -hmm. other reason, especially one where you actually have multiple moves you can make per day or per week. Like picking him up for Monday, letting him get one or two steals early in the week and then dropping him. You did your job. You got me what Mm -hmm. what I needed. You can go now. We'll call you (laughs) when we're ready. And that's exactly how I used him at the end of last season when he went off. I'm like, all right, Bob Thompson has three. He has a three-game, four-game series. I'm picking him up for the series. He got me one or two stolen bases. I didn't even keep him for the whole series. I just dropped him off after that. Rather than having to deal with all the rest of the baggage he might provide you. Now, I drafted him in a couple of Roto Leagues earlier on in the season. I think I have him on a Gladiator, which I'm not, I wasn't 
too thrilled about when I made the pick. Happier now, I'm still not happy. I probably won't be happy halfway through the season, but we'll see how that goes. Doug, any takes on the Texas outfield here or thoughts on Bubba Thompson and his what he can actually bring to the table? No, I think you covered it. He's just an empty base dealer guy, and that's better than nothing. Certainly, it's better than a guy who hits 250 and it's all singles. There's that, but no, I don't really see. I like the thought about Durant. I just don't think right away, first thing in the year, that he's going to get that shot unless Thompson gets hurt too. That's fair. Yeah, I'm hoping Bob Thompson doesn't turn into like Roman Quinn. I'm like hoping he continues to play. <laughs> I don't think he's as good as Roman Quinn. There you go. Oh, there it is. Really don't. <laughs> The next Terrence Gore. And there it is. All right, let's move into some reliever news that kind of fits in with the rest of the episode here, Doug. Um, we got three teams that pulled some pulled some pieces off the scrap heap in free agency this past week. Detroit signing Trevor Rosenthal. The Rangers picked up Will Smith, the pitcher. And then Colorado it, bringing lefty Brad Hand into their bullpen. So I'm going to do a little preview to what we're going to do later on in the show. I'm going to play our game Ask, Avoid, Avoid, Stream, Keep. And really what I want to know from your perspective, which one of these guys has an actual like shot that you would trust to actually roster? You have to roster one of these guys. You have to. Which one do you trust the most to actually give you something beneficial, at least in the first half of the season, if not the entire season, and which one of these three is I'm going to avoid completely? The one that I would roster is Will Smith, and I don't even think it's close. I think Will Smith actually can pitch, for one thing, and the other two can't, so that makes it a little easier. Being in Texas is cool. I think it's good for them to have a nice lefty to add to their staff. I think he could get a handful of saves during the season supporting LeClerc. LeClerc seems to get hurt every time he gets the job. If that happens, Smith will be right there as one of the options. So he's got some upside there too. I like Smith as a sneaky late pick. So he's my key. Avoid, I think I would avoid Brad Hand, not just because he's in Colorado, but because he's terrible. <laughs> it's a bad combination, Colorado and terrible, and he's that. I thought the Musaga signing was absolute garbage. This is, might even be worse. And if he's in the game and he's on your team, it's just like putting a gas can next to a rocket. It's just not what you want. It's you just know? a weird contract too, isn't it? It's one and a half million for this year with a team option of seven million mm -hmm. and i'm like he's gotta do quite a bit in colorado for them to be like oh you know what this is a good idea let's uh, let's bring you back it's the no, there's no downside for oh sure yeah he's a, he's definitely the avoid and then trevor rosenthal i have no idea what to expect from trevor rosenthal <laughs> he has he had that one crazy year when he was in kansas city for a half a minute and then went to san diego never to be heard from again and now he's back again detroit's kind of interesting i think i think Regardless of what Rosenthal can do, I think Lang's still going to be the closer there. But so he's a stash, and if you have if you have a million slots, I don't know, he wouldn't be someone even I would think of for a draft champions league, to be honest. But worse, there are worse players out there. That <laughs> there it is. That's the endorsement right there that we needed to hear. <laughs> there are worse players out. There. I think Rosenthal was either my 49th or 50th pick in my last draft and hold in a 15 teamer. So. That was just one of those things where it's like, I, I play the game to have fun, and I would like to see Rosenthal do something. And without fail, I always have at least one dead spot on a draft and hold. Whether it's a guy I drafted before they signed in, in Japan or Korea, and they lost him for the season, or they go down with TJ or something silly. Oh, I got Brendan Rodgers in my first draft is. and hold, so like, thank you. That was great. Nice start <laughs> to the season. 
Yeah, don't have I'm any sure. stockists. There's plenty of Gavin Luxes out there and yeah, That's Liam right. Hendricks. Right. Yeah, things happen. Jake, you have a take on it? You guys just talked about a lot of these on the last In the Pen episode. So is there anything new in, in, in your mind that comes forth after thinking about these a little bit harder? No, I think okay. I'll just reiterate what I said on In the Pen. Will Smith seems like the favorite to amongst these guys for me because he's probably on the best team and he's the best pitcher. And he's pitching for his old manager, Bruce Bochy, which sort of gives him some sort of leg up there. So that's a really interesting thread there. Outside of that, Trevor Rosenthal is probably the most injured guy that's ever played Major League Baseball. He's just always injured. And as a matter of fact, he's already injured. And it's not feasible for him to make the opening day roster because he has a lat injury. So that's pretty funny. And then Brad Hand, I just got to say, rest in peace. It's a great career. It was nice knowing you. Yeah, Rose, like Doug, Doug said, the last time Rosenthal was good was when he's in Kansas City and he was with his old manager, Mike mm-hmm. Medini, as well. And that came out of nowhere. So to see Will Smith with Bochi in, in Texas, something, something's got to give in that situation. So we'll see. All right, last note here I want to talk about is just the, the extra hype out of St. Louis. So earlier in the week, Dylan Carlson was reportedly dealing with arm fatigue, Jake. And in the same breath, Jordan Walker hit two bombs for good measure in the spring training game. I think it was either the same day or the day after that news broke about Carlson. Of course, Walker's ADP has skyrocketed since those two things happened at the same time. And full disclosure, I have not been shy myself picking up Walker, typically picking him up early in early drafts around like 200 or past 200, though I did grab him at 117 in a draft this past week just because I wanted to continue my overexposure as much as humanly possible. And it was in the on the water on the wire listener league. So I don't think it affected ADP of the overall. So if you're looking up ADP, <laughs> that's not my fault. But are you buying the hype here with Walker or what camp are you falling in with Jordan Walker? Is he this year's J-Rod? He jumps up and starts the season and he's an all-star or is he this year's Kalanick? He doesn't start right away, but when he does come up, fails and falls flat on his face. I'm big on Jordan Walker this year. This was a guy that I predicted very early on in the offseason to win the NL Rookie of the Year award. I wrote an article for the Athletes Hub talking about my early predictions for next season, and that was the guy I chose in the National League. So I'm glad I jumped on the bandwagon early because it seems like it's getting pretty full on here. So I think he's got all the skills in the world. He seems like the next big star in baseball. He's surrounded by a ton of veterans that should be able to help him deal with the struggles of being a rookie in major league baseball and also help him become even better. And just the fact that he's doing so well this spring is something that's just making me have even more confidence that he's going to be really great this year. I have no problem. I think driving him around 150 or so. I think there, there's no problem with that. Honestly, it depends on the league, but the fact that he's going to have not only third base eligibility, but also outfield eligibility makes him even more appealing And that lineup is honestly really good this year. So I am super in on Jordan Walker this year. Yeah, I think the major criticism obviously is even if he starts, like how many days is he going to play? They have a lot of mouths to feed in the outfield, never mind the infield for St. Louis. And they're not they're not getting injured yet. Obviously, injuries happen to every team at any given time. How many plate appearances? I will say, if I'm not mistaken, he's leading the Cardinals in plate appearances in spring training right now which obviously is a good sign with these young guys and teams who want to get as much look at them in spring training as possible to make the decision and give them every opportunity to either succeed or fail. And he is obviously doing the former so far. 
See, I I picked up I me and my buddy placed our bets for rookie of the year and all their awards with all on DraftKings and whatnot. And we picked Spencer Steele, Doug. We we picked him for NL because I wanted to get somebody a little bit further down, a little bit better odds. And now I'm upset about this Jordan Walker situation because he's skewing all the odds. And now Steer's odds are even in more in my favor. So I feel like I wasted an opportunity there. What's your take on the whole Walker situation? And did I put my money in the right spot in Steer as the Reds fan here? No, you put your money, you threw your money in the fire. What are you doing? Steer will get lots of at-bats and accumulate things, but he'll hit about 210. Not very good, I don't think. But but he'll play because the Reds don't have anybody else that they can stay over at third base. Look, Walker's great. I don't think I have him on any teams, and I probably won't ever get him because he's going so, for me, so high. I don't see, he's not J-Rod. Let's not lose our minds. Like, that's that would be something crazy. But he's very good, obviously. I don't, the worst thing that can happen, to my mind, is for a guy like Jordan Walker to just go off the first two weeks of spring training because it just drives everybody up. That's all people <laughs> talked about at First Pitch Florida. Jordan Walker, oh my God, he hit another home run. Oh my God, he hit another home run. He only had three home runs, okay? Let's calm down. It's not like he hit 20 in a week. He hit three. In fact, Christian Encarnacion Strand has more yep. home runs, has more RBIs, has a higher on base, has a higher slugging. I'm just saying it's two weeks. Let's just calm down a little bit. He's very good and very worthy of being rostered, and he's going to play, and he's great. But It's still spring training. I get that. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, but no, I like I would love to have him on my teams. There's just no way because people are taking him at 117. Oh, wait. I feel seen here. I might have announced that just like five minutes ago, but yeah, yeah I still feel seen. All right, whatever. It's still, like I said, the game's still supposed to be fun and I'm having fun. Just All right. I took FBI, my last pick, I took I took Encarnacion Strand. So. There you go. Nice. I, I take crazy picks too sometimes. That's yeah. Sometimes, you, sometimes that has to happen. And TGFBI is usually that place where all of those <laughs> picks, especially in the last five picks, they end up happening. Yeah. All right, guys, that's enough news for today. We're going to get into the kind of crux of the episode where we're talking about the strategy revolving around drafting relievers specifically when it comes to saves, but we'll get into other areas in which they can, they can help us out as well. Before we do that, we do have to take a quick break. All right, we are back. You are still listening to On The Wire. I am Adam Howe. I'm joined this week by Jay Crumpler, and we are lucky to be joined by Doug Dennis of Baseball HQ. And guys, we're going to get right into it. I'm, I I want to get the old thought process of you guys when it comes to drafting relievers in 2023. And this may have changed for either or both of you over the course of the last one or five years of drafting. We've, we've obviously seen some trends shift in different formats. But Doug, let me get your take first. In going into 2023 drafts, how important is drafting saves or targeting saves? And does it matter what kind of format you're in or do you draft the same way? Well, I think it matters the format for sure. I tend to do very well in draft champions by throwing darts late and it works out fine. I try to get one guy and then I try to throw darts and I get a second, maybe third guy during the year in those kinds of leagues without too much trouble. Um, That's how I handle those leagues. If I were I don't do a main events really, but if I did, I don't think I'd spend like second, third round picks because the opportunity cost is super high. There's really super 
players you can get in those rounds and to spend it on a closer where you're getting that one category. Maybe you get a little ERA and whip help, but not much. Or you have something that's super volatile too, where it could just blow up and be a nothing. So it's very, uh, I love that strategy. I know a lot of people seem to employ it. Otherwise it wouldn't be where those guys ADPs are. But I tend to, but then again, I've been doing bullpens forever. So I tend to pick guys sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth round there. And a lot of times there's one or two skilled guys, you know, that are there and you never know who it's going to be before the season starts but right now david bednar is the guy the big skills guy who's going late yes he's on pittsburgh yes the chances of him leading the league in saves are like none and he has a back thing so there's reasons but i like those skills guys that you can get then and i'd rather spend those higher picks getting a soup you know ace pitcher getting a big slugger players that i know that i'm going to need across multiple categories like that so that's how I play it. I've had a lot of conversations with these high stakes guys who've won a lot of things and we go round and round about it, but they're trying to win the overall. They're not just trying to win their league. They're trying to win the big, big thing. They have to nail every category and they feel like it's easier to do that, making sure that they can sleep at night with their two closers. So that's a different way from the way I would look at it, but I get it. Yeah, I hear this a lot. Doug, you're saying it now. Jake, we talked to Rick Graham. He says it as well. And talked to Greg Jewett about it. Like the guys, you guys who follow bullpens justly throughout the course of the season, it seems as though you tend to feel more confident in season, either scraping the bottom of the barrel, finding the guys maybe a week or two weeks ahead of time and being able to play the fab game on those. I mean, Kevin talked about it throughout the season as well, stashing these guys a little bit early, but, and then, you have, Doug, you're talking about talking to the guys who play the main event and been successful, getting those guys early and being able to sleep at night. There's definitely two schools of thought. And I think it really has a lot to do with their comfort level of looking for these guys. How much time and effort are you going to want to put into it throughout the season? Do you think you're more successful finding that next bat that's going to get more playing time the week after or working platoon roles that are depending on who's coming up in the rotation for the next series or the next two series or streaming wins or whatever. So I definitely hear that from you. And I hear that a lot. Jake, do you, when do you, are you targeting your saves? Are you looking at a guy early? Are you looking at two guys so that you don't have to worry about it? Or are you, are you comfortable against scraping the bottom of the barrel and kind of working your way throughout the course of the season? I definitely would have said something different last year before I started covering relievers for an entire year. I'm like you said, I'm in that mode of, I, I feel comfortable with my ability to evaluate relievers, find the sleepers, get guys during the season. So I'm comfortable waiting. I think the volatility of relievers inherently makes them difficult to draft early on because you're not sure what you're getting. Last year, we had Liam Hendricks and Josh Hader as the top two guys. They seem like the safest closers that I've ever seen since I started playing fantasy baseball. Hendricks didn't bust, but he did fall back a little. A little. Hader was awful. He had an ERA over five. It was mostly in the second half. He was great in the first half, but that's the sort of volatility you get when you're pitching in such small samples. So I'm avoiding early relievers. I think they just keep going earlier and earlier each year. I don't think I'm drafting one inside the top 75, to be honest. There's just, there's too many options later on. I really want to target the guys in the middle tier. I want to get a couple sleepers at the end of the draft, throw some darts, see who I can hit on. I think the middle tier is really strong this year. And I think there's tons of 
volatility towards the end of the draft because so many bullpen situations are up in the air that there's so many sleepers that are really appealing. So I, I'm willing to wait, trust my ability to read Rick's articles <laughs> and have him tell me who to get Yeah, and also there myself. Go. There you go. Yeah, it seems as though if you're drafting like myself and you start drafting in October, November, and you draft throughout draft season, you see a pattern, right? Like I, I'm much more willing to go after solid relievers in my November drafts than I am in my March drafts, where there's a lot more clarity. It's like the opposite of starting pitching moves up as you get closer and closer to the season because of the injuries, because the crowd thins out a little bit more and those solid pieces become less solid. The relieving field seems the opposite, like more situations become clearer as spring training goes on, either guys get hurt and then become, and there's less options so that you know who the guy's going to be at least opening day, as opposed to drafting in October where you have a good idea that maybe four guys are going to be the closer on opening day by then. At least that's what I've been seeing. Doug, do you have a different opinion on that? Because I saw you shaking your head over there. Well, no, I don't have a different opinion, but I give it a month. Like, it looks real clear right now. And then, like, <laughs> by April 15th, it'll be, oh, these four guys that we thought we could count on are gone. And now you're going to have to get another guy. So I think that I get a lot of relief pitchers and draft and holds because I can't fab them and I don't have any ability sure. to get them later. So I just start grabbing guys that have good skill sets across different teams and hope somebody hits. And typically, two do. But I, if you ask me right now, which who they are i would have no idea and then in leagues where you can fab you just have to be smart about it that's all i the thing that gets me is when teams like oh i have the perfect team but my closer went out so i'm gonna blow a crazy amount of fab early that then you end up needing later in the year and ruin your team and so there's a lot of people who wreck wreck on the rocks of trying to replace saves and that sucks people should try really hard not to do that <laughs> Doug, you talked about how you grabbed a bunch of relievers and draft and holds and you're drafting the skill set. Talk to me about, do you just try to spread out the wealth as much as possible and hit as many bullpens as possible? Or are you one to try to get as many handcuffs as possible so you can guarantee you're going to get the saves from that team's bullpen? Um, I try to get, this is pretty simple, it's a very simplistic, but I try to get relievers who have at least a 20% strikeout percent minus walk percent. And that narrows the number down considerably. Some bullpens have four or five guys like that. If they do, and I start getting them one or two of those, then I do want to handcuff them because, you know, you just don't really know how that's going to end up. But there's a lot of bullpens where there's only one guy like that. And you're like, okay, I got to get that guy. He's not the closer right now, but he might be the closer by May 1st because he's the skilled guy in a bullpen full of crappy guys. So that's a good that's a good situation. I think I have just Jeremy Estrada and, and Albert on like all my draft and holds, both of them, because there's no way I want Michael Fulmer and I don't really trust Hughes. And I think Brad Boxberg is like a zombie at this point. It's just I feel pretty good. Maybe they won't hit, but I got them late and it didn't cost me that much and they have better uh, projected skill set. So that's what I'm looking for. Last year, I got all the I got all the Seattle guys because they all look pretty good, except I didn't get Steckenrider because he looked bad. And then at this time of year, I was like, oh, Steckenrider's going to be the closer. I'm like, oh, no, like that's terrible. But of course, come on, he's had bad skill set. Like, it worked out fine. 
In, Jake, in a fab league, are, is that a strategy that you would consider doing in handcuffing two or three? I would just say two guys. A situation like in Tampa. I know you're a fan base guy, but you have Fairbanks <laughs> yeah, and you have yeah. Adam. Yeah, I listen to the podcast. We have in that situation or in Seattle, the Seawald and you know situation. Are you willing to grab both of these guys or maybe even in, in Chicago with Kendall Graveman and Reynaldo Lopez. Are you willing to roster two guys, especially early on in drafts, or not early on drafts, but early on in the season through your draft and hold out and see who who get who gets the job? Or especially in NFBC League where you only have those seven bench spots, is that how you want to be utilizing your bench? I never considered this question about why I don't like handcuffs because I just I never was into them. And so I had to consider that over the last couple of days. I think the reason is it limits the upside that you're taking when you pick these pitchers. If you have two guys on the same team, if they're splitting saves, there's your limited upside. You're getting the 30 saves that are allotted to a team. One of them gets 15, one of them gets 10 or 20. You're limited. If you get two guys that are on different teams, you've got the ability to get 30 saves on both teams. So I think it's the ceiling that's capped with handcuffing that sort of keeps me off of that. I'd rather just take a shot on a guy that has the ability to take over the closer role late in drafts. Like you said, Chicago, Reynaldo Lopez could get the 30 saves and then take my Pete Fairbanks earlier on with the ability, with the possibility that he loses the role or shares the role. And then you're still getting 45 there rather than the 30 that you get from Adam and Fairbanks combined. So it's all a ceiling thing for me with handcuffs. Yeah, that. Yeah, I think the situations that I think I'm most interested in doing handcuffs is like is the White Sox situation where you're we're still not 100% sure who's going mm-hmm. to be in that role. And both these guys, at least the two top guys, Graveman and Ronaldo Lopez are going late enough where the in, the investment is not hurting you on either one. And if you can grab them now and then fab drop one of them in week 2 when it's a little bit it's a little bit more clear or at least it's probably going to be clear you're not really losing anything in that situation so that's the situation i think i personally am interested in doing a handcuff not so much like in the seattle where you think the guys are going to flat out split the road because i agree with that with what you're saying i don't want to be using a roster spot in that situation let let me ask you guys one last question about relievers and it doesn't really have to do with saves and we talk kevin and i talk about chasing wins all the time doug can you target Vulture wins rather than Vulture saves throughout the season by following who's going to be the first man up out of a bullpen rather than the last man up at the end for saves? Or is this just a fool's errand and get a guessing game that you're playing? I've really only, and this is, like I said, I'm old, two decades plus of doing this. I've probably only seen three times where I thought the rel- there's actually a reliever who is vulturing a significant amount of wins. One of them was Xavier Hernandez, if you guys even remember him. And the other was Mark Petkaisic, if you can remember him. <laughs> and both of those guys, here's what it was. They both were the guy that, first of all, they were on, so Petkaisic was on the Cardinals and they had a great offense. And Hernandez was on the Astros and they had a great offense. So first of all, you need a team that has great offense that can win a game from a tie game or from being behind by a run. And then you need a reliever that only gets put in the game when it's a tie game or behind by a run. If, you, if they're getting put in a game in other times or other situations, they're, you're, they're losing those opportunities for that vulture win. So if you have a guy that's designated just for that purpose, then, that, then maybe, especially if they have an offense. And that's the team that can win games if that guy can just hold on for an inning or two. And that's the other thing is those guys were always two inning guys. They weren't one, one three out guy and then they're out of the game. So two innings, big offense, 
and they always come into a tie game or down by a run. And that, who's that? I haven't seen that in a long time, honestly. Part of it is because relievers today are so much more skilled than they used to be. You have teams that are just replete with guys that have 20% strikeouts minus walks. And then you have other teams that don't have anybody that can do it. So if you have a team that has a lot of guys that can do it, they'll just mix and match based on the lineup that the other team's putting out there in a given inning. Nobody from that team is going to be vulturing the majority of wins for that team. And if you have a team that has a bunch of crabby guys, none of them are going to do it either. Like it's, it's, it's hard to find that team that has that great offense, only one guy you want to use in this role, and they can pitch two innings. That's a lot to ask. So I would say in this day and age, that's very they're spread out. It's just yeah. impossible to get a guy who's going to get you eight. I mean, can get eight, nine, ten wins, but it's really much more luck than it is, oh, I can see it and I can pick it. Brent Suter was the one that comes to mind all the time for me. Yeah. Just 12 wins for the Brewers in 21. And, and, and what was he? Two-inning guy. Yeah, yeah. put him in when it's tied. He was that guy. Yeah, He's also absolutely. with Milwaukee, who was really limiting their starters. That's a situation that I'm looking at in the situation, rather than the guy that's coming in like fifth or sixth with their team down, hoping that the offense can bring it back up. The guy who's coming in the fourth inning or in the middle yeah. of the fourth inning, and before the starter gets pulled after two times around, Minnesota made a name for themselves last year as being that team that's like pulling their starters early, not letting them go more than two times through the order. And if they're not being efficient, then that's before the fifth inning. So they're vulturing a win. They can go a third of an inning, and they're still going to go qualify for the win just because of the timing that they're coming in. That's why I said, but can you be following the guys that are coming that are first up the guys that are coming out first rather than coming up in the seventh, eighth, ninth inning. And usually, yeah, usually those are guys that are going to maybe three innings to eat up as many innings as possible. So the rest of their bullpen isn't taxed throughout the course of the week. Is this anything that you're looking at at all, Jake, throughout the course of the season, as you're looking at bullpens, as we're trying to, especially early in the season, where starters, not every starter is ready to go throughout a spring training. They're like, they're not like a starter that might go five or six, seven innings on a regular basis might only go four innings because they're not ready to go in April, or at least in the first two or three weeks of April. And I'm one to say you should be targeting your categories throughout the season, wherever they present themselves, not waiting until August when you have a clearer picture of what you need. Put yourself in a situation to succeed early. But is this a situation that you're looking at as you're looking at bullpens? Definitely. The, I My home league is a league that <clears throat> limits games started. So mm. I'm always looking for relievers that can go multiple innings and vulture those wins. It is smart to point out that those are really difficult to find mm -hmm. just wins in general. But if you find the right guys that are doing the same thing, like you find that archetype of guys, that's going multiple innings. Like Doug said, on a team with a strong offense, you said, Adam, on a team that limits their starting pitchers. Those are the guys to go for. We actually saw a few guys last year that maybe didn't get a lot of wins, but were filling that role. We saw Garrett Whitlock do that for a lot of the year in Boston. We saw Keegan Aiken do that at the beginning of the year in Baltimore. Michael King was the big guy in New York before he became a, a late-end reliever. And even Aaron Ashby, before he moved to the rotation full-time, was a guy like that. So the people that I'm looking for are relievers that we're starters, basically. <laughs> Guys that are forced into a bullpen role so they can go multiple innings. If I have faith in them as a pitcher in general, I'm going to have even more faith in them when they're in the bullpen. And the fact that they can go multiple innings and are likely to be used at the beginning of the game will give them a leg up on, on vulturing wins like that. This is something I'm always keeping an eye on. I think it's very important in leagues, like you said, that you don't want to waste any roster spot that you have. So if you're 
doing, if you're having trouble deciding what to do with that starter that you've been stashing on your team that either hasn't been called up, hasn't reached his full potential, or a mediocre reliever that you haven't really seen do what you want him to do, let him go. Just take a reliever that you think could maybe get you a couple innings a week, five innings a week or or whatever, three innings a week, and possibly vulture a win, vulture a save. Those guys are going to be much more valuable to your team than empty roster spot. Yeah, that's fair too. And I'll echo something I've said quite a few times is I'll be looking for those relievers, especially those middle relievers that didn't pitch all weekend. So you have a you have a general sense that they're going to pitch on Monday or Tuesday and they have more opportunity throughout that week. They're setting themselves up to getting three appearances instead of two appearances in the week. And hopefully they're getting two inning stints each time and they can volume their way into eight start SP1 type numbers throughout the course of the week. All right, I, that's all great stuff, guys. I really appreciate it. The insight in, into all of that and the draft strategy kind of revolves around that when it comes to relievers, especially when it comes to when you're targeting your saves. We're in now we are going to I put together a couple of groups of pitchers that are going really late in drafts, specifically targeting 12 teamers. But one, at least one of these groups would be readily available at the end of a 15 teamer for sure. And we're going to get into that little discussion right after the second break. All right, guys, we are going to play a little bit of a game. We played this two or three months ago. It's a game we call Ask. As I said during the news section, guys, it's avoid, stream, keep. So I got three grouping or got four groupings of three pitchers in each group. And I'm going to force you guys to choose one of these guys that you would have to keep on your roster all year round. You could not drop them. So you have to have some level of confidence, at least in comparison to the other two, that they're going to be useful to your team. One of these guys you would be forced to stream or even stash on your bench throughout the season. So you could drop them, pick them up, thinking that they're going to be continuous to be available. And the last one is you're going you have to avoid them. You could not pick them up. You have absolutely no confidence in them at again at least in comparison to the other two in this grouping. So Doug, I'm going to start here with you. The group one is these guys either presume to have a job or they are the favorites, especially based on ADP. These guys are going at an ADP of 230 to 260 range in the online championships over the last month or so. We have Kendall Graveman of the White Sox, Jorge Lopez of Minnesota, and Carlos Estevez of the Angels. Which one of these guys are you avoiding completely keeping on your roster all season and which one would you be forcing yourself to either uh, to stream on and off shaving it very close they're all very similar i will say that that i would have to start with who i would avoid i would avoid jorge lopez jorge lopez is the presumptive favorite to be the closer on opening day but he has a 22% strikeout rate and a 12% strikeouts minus walks and that is terrible and i don't want it i'm avoiding that and i wouldn't I would put him on your roster if I could. If we that would be a fun game. game. <laughs> that would be, yeah, if there's one guy I could put on people's rosters, that would be the guy. I think he'll, people want him, and he'll be terrible, and they'll be trying to get rid of him. Between the other two, it's very tough. I don't. I don't like. I call him Graveman. You guys call him Graveman. I don't know how to pronounce his name. Anyway, <laughs> I like I Graveman. All right, what? I'll go with that. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what it is. I'd have to ask him. But he's at 16 percent strikeouts, minus walks. I don't really like that either. I didn't think he was that good last year. And he had that little run when he was with Houston. That was nice, but that was a while ago. I actually think Ronaldo Lopez and I actually think Joe Kelly both are better pitchers than mm-hmm. he is. And I think both of them have just as equal a chance that by opening day it will be closer. 
I don't think it necessarily is going to be him. I would say that he's my second least favorite of the three, and that just leaves. Look, Estevez has had a pretty bad spring so far, but this is an unusual for relievers. It takes them a while to get their mechanics down and whatnot, so I'm not super bothered by really bad numbers early. I and mean, he has a 17% strikeouts minus walks, which isn't my favorite, but it's better than the other two marginally. And then the other thing, too, is there isn't a Lopez and Kelly in that bullpen in, for the Angels. So I think he'd be the guy that if I had, if he forced me to take one, I would take him. But you'd have to force me. because That is like that is the point of this game. I'm trying to put you guys in the most uncomfortable situations that I could have thought of. And so there, <laughs> that's what you guys have to look forward to when coming on this show. So I appreciate you playing along, Doug. Jake, do you have any other differences of opinion? We got Doug's got Jorge Lopez as his avoid. Kendall Graveman sounds like he's the stream on and off if if forced to. And they use a different Douglas. S word, but I'm not allowed to say it on air. So. I appreciate. Nate Pollock appreciates that as well. And Carlos Estevez would be his his keep if I'm forcing him to keep somebody. Do these guys fit in the same range, or do you have a different opinion on any of them? Gonna be pretty disappointing from a content perspective, but yeah, I literally exactly the same as for me. It Jorge Lopez has the stiffest competition, and his skills are not incredible we saw how much he fell off when he went to minnesota last year i think he still steals some saves but yon duran's one of the best relievers in baseball even after just one season so he's got such stiff competition there so he's the guy that i'm avoiding kendall graveman i not much else to say there what rick has been saying a lot is guys that get a lot of ground balls like graveman these sinker baller guys are much better used in the fireman role where they can come into a situation where they need a double play. And that's exactly what Graveman can do akin to the guy. Who's, thank you. <laughs> Names slip my mind. Nobody does. Um, nobody does ground balls better than Clay. Holmes. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so I think that's what Graveman fits where it seems like he's the closer. There are other guys in that bullpen that I think have better skills. And he's a guy that would fit better in a get you out of a jam role. And Estevez is very interesting leaving Colorado, like Doug said, really been struggling so far in just less than two innings in the spring, which sort of gives you some pause, but he really has very little competition. There's lots of veterans in the Angels bullpen, but nobody that I'm like super pumped about. I will put in the little disclaimer that Ben Joyce could be really interesting if the Angels are competing, but we'll leave that for another time, probably during the season. But Estevez is definitely the guy that I would draft here and keep. All right, Jake. Well, then we'll have you start us off here. And in the category I'm calling, these guys had the job once. They might have it again. They are all going between ADP of 300 to 320. We got Giovanni Gallegos in St. Louis, Taylor Rogers now in San Francisco with his brother, and then Jason Adam, as we talked about earlier, in Tampa Bay. Who is your void? Who's your stream? And who's your keep of this threesome? I think my avoid is Jason Adam, just because I know I'm going to have Pete Fairbanks on all of my teams. <laughs> and you don't want a handcuff. I get exactly. It. Yeah. yeah. I don't think his skills are bad. He was really good last year. The Rays know what they're doing. They get the most out of their relievers, and I'm sure he's going to have at least a handful of saves. But it's just not a situation that I'm super appeased by. I don't think he's going to be as good as he was last year. Actually, he's. I'm guaranteeing you he's not going to be as good as he was last year. And I'm just, I don't see the upside there with that much competition. Gallegos is the guy I would stream, 
because he does always seem every single year to at least get a few saves. 2021, he was competing with Reyes, Alex Reyes. Reyes got the majority of the saves in the first half of the season, fell off in the second half, and Gallegos took over. Last year was the opposite, where it took Helsley a while to take over the closer role in the second half, and Gallegos was getting saves in the beginning of the season. But that sort of seems like a minor Seattle Mariners situation where it's like you got the Andres Munoz and Helsley where it's the fireballing guy that's really enticing but probably doesn't have the stamina or whatever to take the ball on more more than two days in a row so Gallegos could have his fair share of saves it's probably going to be like seven to ten but I think he's going to be very solid and that team's going to be really good and that leaves Taylor Rogers as my keep that is not a homer pick I do like him on my Giants that should be cool but it's hard to trust that Camilo Duvall is going to be the closer all year. He led the team in saves by a wide margin last year. But this is a young guy. The Giants have a manager that know, is known to mess around with the closer role. They may want to keep Duvall from pitching a bunch of days in a row. Taylor Rogers is by far the most experienced reliever in that bullpen. Has gotten a lot of saves in years past. Was very unlucky last year. He's a lefty, so he's a good counterpart to Duvall in that if you got a bunch of lefties coming up in the ninth inning, he'd be the go-to guy there. I just think he's got a really good shot at going like 35 to 45% of the saves, which is very solid for a team that's going to be somewhat competitive. So he's definitely the guy I would be targeting just because he's going to get you good ratios. He's going to strike out a lot of guys and he's probably going to get the most saves of this group. So I have to ask you an awkward question. Somebody who lived in Oakland for the better part of the last decade before moving to Indianapolis, not Born and raised there, but I lived there plenty, pl- plenty. Red Sox fan, so East Coast biased a little bit. What I noticed, it's weird because I heard you say, I heard the guys at Independent talk to you about you're the resident A's fan. You're talking about how these are your giants. You're allowed in the Bay Area to root for both. And it's weird to me <laughs> that you're allowed to root for the two local teams. I granted one's NL, one's AL, yeah. but this would not be allowed on the East coast. It simply would not be allowed. And it's a normal thing in the Bay area to do that. And I, th- I always thought that was a very, that was a very strange thing. Have you always been a fan of both or did you kind of learn to, is one of them your team and the other ones your other team? No, I, they're both my team. It's a weird situation where it's like the A's have cheap tickets and they're easy to go see where the giants are more expensive and sure. they switch off having competitive windows so it's really easy to root for both of them no I've probably been to more A's in my A's games in my life but I follow the Giants more closely so it is a weird situation the only person that's ever had a problem with it I always say it's taboo and then people are like no I don't really have a problem with that the only person (laughs) I've ever had a problem like with that was a guy who didn't know much about baseball but was huge on baseball in like the 80s So the World Series, when they faced each other, that guy watched that. And you have to choose there. You can't just be like, I'm rooting for the World Series. For me, I would root for both. Like that would be that's a dream come true right there. That'd be awesome. But that guy was like, he thought it was the worst thing ever that I could be a fan of both teams. (laughs) And yeah, that's I finally felt that East Coast thing where it's like, why can't I be a fan for both teams? And he was so adamant that I had to choose one or the other. And I'm like, they're not competing with each other. The only time they play each other is a few times a year and in spring training. And it's not like they're keeping each other from making the playoffs or whatever. Yeah. I have a favorite NL team and I have a favorite AL team and they just so happen to be the ones that I grew up watching. 
There you go. At World Series in 89, they had a giant earthquake. That was yep. like the only time they've both been good at the same time. And that's like the world it. couldn't handle it. Mass, yeah, yeah. <laughs> massive earthquake. Like the world's ending because uh, they're both good at the same time. It's mm-hmm. just kind of nuts. It's one of those, yeah, one of those World Series that everybody remembers whether you were alive or not. <laughs> Somehow you alive. remember it. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's see. Of that three, Doug, that we'll get back to the conversation at hand. Jason Adam in Tampa Bay, Taylor Rogers, San Francisco, Giovanni Gallegos in St. Louis. These are all the situation where they're all skilled relievers. They're all putting up decent ratios. They're all getting you strikeouts, but you've got to keep one. You got to avoid one and you've got to stream the last one. Do you stray from what, anything that Jake said or do you find yourself in a similar boat? Yeah, I won't bury the lead. I do the same things. I love the skill sets of all three, and I really wouldn't mind having all three. I think they're all very good. I think Adam's not as good as the other two. He, he, but 30% strikeout rate's very good. 21% strikeouts minus walks. I don't hate that at all. Not nearly as good, obviously, as Fairbanks, but very good. They actually have five guys in their bullpen who have over 20 strikeouts minus walks. What you'd expect from Tampa. I think, I, I think that he won't be as good as he was last year and he won't be nearly getting saves like he did last year, but he's very good. But he's the guy I would avoid if I had to from these three. I think Gallegos has been as steady a skill set as there's been in, in baseball. Just like a metronome, just always very low whip, very good ERA, very steady, can pitch multiple days in a row. And I think the Cardinals like him to not close because I think they like to be able to count on him to get to bridge. And he does a very good job of that. And he'll probably get seven to 10 saves during the course of the year. And that's fine. He found it really interesting, this group because I actually have Gallegos and Rogers both projected for 32% strikeout rate and a 25% strikeouts minus walks. They're both the same. So, you know, if you have a lefty who can do that in San Francisco, that is money. That is a very good ERA whip. I think he's probably better than Duvall, which Duvall's really good, but I think I like Rogers better. I think Duvall will be the main guy, but I still think Rogers will get plenty of save chances. I think he's a guy that'll get, if you're in a holds, league i think rogers could lead the league and holds or gallegas one of the two they're both great i like them both but i think i would pick rogers over gallegas gun to my head yeah and at least san francisco has at least scott alexander as another lefty option in that pen but that's obviously something you got to look at is what are the options that gabe kapler and other managers have in their bullpen as far as handedness at the very least or skill set in general and if you have that other option in at some point during the game that you can hold on to Rodgers, then you then he has more of a shot, obviously, of closing out a game, especially if Duvall needs a rest. All right, third group here. Doug, I'll start with you here. This is the all Houston grouping. And <laughs> Doug's not he's not excited about this one. This is the when Ryan Presley inevitably goes down for an extended period of time. Grouping Rafael Montero. Brian Abreu and Hector Neris seem to be the one, two, three. What order are you putting them in uh, on your rosters, assuming that Presley's going to miss any amount of time? Yeah, this is a Dusty Baker special, right? Because obviously the worst skill set here is Rafael Montero. But when Presley got hurt last year, that's who Dusty Baker threw in the closer role. It makes, I won't say it makes no sense because it worked. It wasn't yeah. like it didn't work. It's just not something I would do. And I certainly wouldn't do it two years in a row. 
So I don't care, Dusty. I'm still avoiding Rafael Montero because I think he's going to blow up in your face this year when you try it. Between the other two, both really good skill sets. Both of them have 33% strikeout rate projected. Neris has a little bit better strikeouts minus walks projected, but I actually really like Abreu. When I watched him pitch last year, he was just money every time I saw him, which is the kind of bias that I hate because I'm not a scout. (laughs) But I see, but every time I saw Abreu, I'm like, I want that guy on my team. Like that guy is outstanding. Mm-hmm. I could flip a coin between the two, but I think I would take a brave to be my keep and I would have Naris be the other guy. I would be happy with either of those two. I really think if Dusty throws him on, says it worked last year, I'm going to do it again. It's going to blow up in his face and he's not going to be happy, but uh, we'll see. Results over process in that situation. Yeah, obviously Hector Neris has some experience at the end of games in his career. Jake, are you looking at this in any different light? I think you did a really good job at recruiting two guys that think exactly the same because we are <laughs> simpatico on all of these things. I think Montero is probably the first guy that Dusty would turn to, but maybe we're lucky enough that because he had the worst skills last year and that likely means regression next year, that by the time Presley does go down, Montero sort of performing the worst and doesn't get a shot at that role, but they are paying him. They just signed him to a deal this offseason, very early on in the offseason. So it does seem like he would be the first guy up. I do agree that he's the worst guy in this bullpen. And I also agree that Brian Abreu is my favorite here because he is just so good. I was watching him very early on last season because he was a guy that was striking out a ton of guys and wasn't like he walks a lot of guys, but not like enough where it's something that is going to turn you off. So I'm really interested in him. He had the eighth highest strikeout rate among qualified relievers last year at 35.5%. That's really good. It's a huge strikeout pitcher. I think he's probably the closer of the future there as well. So he would be the guy I would prefer there. What's bothering me is that I think Naris is the guy that would be the first guy up in the closer role. He's got the most experience among those guys. He's the middle ground between Abreu and Montero in terms of skills. And I think the fact that he's not going to have his arbitration numbers affected by how many saves he gets is probably leads me to believe that he would be the first guy up when Presley goes down if he's still performing as he has in the past couple of years. The question would be, which, if any of these guys was the first one up, who, let's say, God forbid, and a knock on wood, because nobody wants to see this happen, but if Presley goes down for a very extended period of time, which one of these guys would take over the job and then lose it first? Which, if Hector Neres were to come in, does he have a good shot of keeping the job throughout the season or faltering enough where he goes to Montero, he goes to Abreu, or vice versa? Jake, do you have a take? Which one of these guys is more stable? Yeah, I feel like if it does happen before Montero's skills catch up to him, he would be the guy to take over the closer role, then watch his skills to catch up to him and lose the role, <laughs> and then it would go to Neris. So I'm still leaning Neris as the guy that would probably be the bet there long term, even though I think Abreu should be it. I just, I, he's, Dusty Baker is a very old school guy. He's the oldest manager in baseball. He's he's going to use his bullpen in old school ways. And that means trusting the veteran over the young pitcher. All right. Let's talk about some bad situations now. We have that awkward situation that hopefully we don't even have to actually think about in season, but probably will to these situations that we are forced to think about just because we have no idea what's going on and they're ultimately just not on very good teams. Jake, start us off here. We got Trevor May in Oakland, Hunter Harvey as an option in the Washington bullpen, and then Brandon Hughes, the only lefty of note in the Chicago Cubs, who was the favorite at the end of the season and in early drafts, I think, but 
in what order are you putting this threesome? I would avoid Brandon Hughes. Like you said, he's the only lefty in that bullpen. That's I'm usually fine with a lefty being the closer, but if you're the only guy in the entire bullpen that's a lefty, that presents a problem because you can't use him in other situations when a bunch of lefties are due up in the lineup. I also think he's got a little bit of competition. Doug men- mentioned them earlier, Adbert Alzale and Jeremiah Estrada. And I think Michael Fulmer is probably a better option. I wrote him up in my five relief pitcher sleepers as well as the bonus there. So if you want to hear some more in-depth on there, go read that article. Nonetheless, I think Brandon Hughes is my avoid here, mostly because of the handedness, but also because there's a little bit of competition there. And then I think the guy that I would stream or stash is Hunter Harvey. I'm not as enamored with him as I am, as my in the pen co-hosts are. They absolutely love him. Great fastball. One of the hardest fastballs. I think he could have a big breakout season. He is dealing with a little bit of competition there with Kyle Finnegan, who I'm not enamored with as all at all, but Harvey just doesn't have any secondary pitches. He's got a splitter that he threw like 10% of the time last year. He was throwing that fastball like 80% of the time, which is crazy. But it's just not good enough to carry it all by itself. He needs a secondary pitch. I think he needs to throw that splitter a bit more, but I'm not convinced that it's an elite pitch that should be thrown more than 10% of the time. So that's my only problem with him there. Also, he's on a terrible team. Speaking of terrible teams, there you go. <laughs> the Oakland A's. Yeah, I love Trevor May this year. This is I'm so surprised he is going this late. I think his ADP in NFBC draft champions drafts since Valentine's Day is post 300, which is crazy. I know a lot of people are talking about Danny Jimenez taking over the closer role or even starting the year as the closer. But I think May is clearly the guy there. And that's why I would take him as the guy to keep. He's getting paid. He's the highest paid player on the A's for 2023. If that doesn't convince you that he's going to be the closer role, then let me say that they have no reason not to trade him. The best way to hype up a trade candidate is to make him a forward-facing member of the bullpen by giving him a lot of saves. Hype him up, market him to the rest of the league, and then trade him at the deadline. That does limit his ceiling because I doubt he's a closer on any other team. But if you just have him for a few months where he's getting all the saves in Oakland, that's really great. And then you can trade him to an unsuspecting co-manager, <laughs> like competitor in, in your league. That's probably the best way to go about it. If you're concerned about his skills... Go look at his underlying metrics or go read my five reliever sleeper mm-hmm. articles. And I think there's just the the situation where it's just he's got the role. Yeah, I lost my train of thought there for a second. There was one more point I wanted to make, but I, it, I, I made I, it in the article. <laughs> I think in general, I think your point about Trevor May being traded at the deadline and Oakland's going to want to showcase him a little bit more holds true because you can they can trade Danny Jimenez as well. They can trade their other relievers who they already have value because they have more control on their their young contracts. Look what Seattle was able to get with Eric Swanson. He wasn't the closer. He's just a, he was just very good at his job. And so you can have these younger guys that have control still perform in still high leverage or at least medium leverage roles without having to put them at the forefront on the closer spot. Something to think about. I think the Oakland could trade many relievers, mm-hmm. especially yeah. after we're seeing the what other teams have been getting back in the reliever market on the trade market. A- any other insight into any of these situations, Doug? Do you feel any differently than what Jake's saying for the sake of feeling differently? Or- I do, actually. I'm Ooh. different on this way. So here's the thing. They're all gross and terrible. So I don't like them. <laughs> and I would avoid them all if I could. But Not the game. the game. I get it. 
And also, let me just say, yes, Eric Swanson got traded, but he was actually not terrible. So <laughs> you can trade a not terrible reliever. If you're terrible, who wants you? Like only Colorado. <laughs> it's really kind of ridiculous. So let's talk about Trevor May. Why did Oakland spend all this money on Trevor May? Trevor May is coming off an injury. He's projected to have a 23% strikeout rate and a 14% strikeout minus walks. Gross. On the other hand, it's probably better than anybody else they got. It's certainly better than Danny Jimenez. He's 24% and 12%. Zach Jackson has an okay strikeout rate, but he walks everybody. So, like, you don't want him. Yeah, so Trevor May's probably the guy. You may get those saves, those eight saves or ten saves or whatever Oakland wins. But on the other hand, you're also going to have a bloated, horrible ERA and whip because he's not good. So, I, for me, Trevor May, is he's my stash. He's in the middle guy i agree i agree with what you said about hughes i think hughes is is more valuable as the lefty guy for them in leverage i actually think he has a little bit better skill set but i think they have better guys than hughes to use that are right-handers so i think he's uh, he's my avoid i don't think he adds any value to anybody's team in the role that he'll be on the cubs if they use him as a closer then they need to fire their manager it just makes no sense at all for him to close and so that leaves Hunter Harvey as my keep. And all I'm really hoping for is injury because if that's my keep, I don't want him playing. So that's how I look at him. He, he had a good, what, like three weeks at the end of the year last year and everybody's hanging their hat on that three weeks. I remember all the times where Hunter Harvey was supposed to be the guy for Baltimore over and over and over again. And he was either hurt or terrible, hurt or terrible. Yeah, he's my keep, but I'm really kind of rooting for him to be hurt like he usually is. <laughs> so you can throw him on the IL. Yeah. <laughs> yeah i don't know i just i have to agree or disagree so much with the trevor may hate if you look back at his last four years between before the injury riddled struggled struggles of 2022 and after the missed season of 2017 when he had tommy john surgery from 2018 to 2021 across 175 innings pitch he had a 3.33 era a 1.14 whip and a 32 percent strikeout rate that's really good and i think the one thing about relievers on bad teams is that when they win, they don't win by much. That opens up a lot of opportunities to save a lot of games. So if you're worried about a guy on a bad team not getting a lot of saves, it's still there. We've seen a lot of guys lead baseball in saves or have a lot of saves. Shane Green is an example of them for the Tigers a few years ago. Guys on bad teams can still be good closers. As long as they are the closer. Exactly. I agree with that. As long as they're the closer and as long as they're not terrible, mm -hmm. I will fight back a little bit on maybe in terrible, though. It's been a while since he was good. That it's is been a while. When yeah, he was in Minnesota, old. when he was in Minnesota, I will say this when he was in Minnesota, he was always a guy that I was getting on my list, getting, yeah. getting, because I kept thinking he was going to be a closer back then, but it's, it's been a while. So. Yeah, he's getting up there in age. The skills are definitely declining. He's not going to return completely back to his old days, but hey, you never know. I don't know. Maybe pitching in the garbage can of O.Co. Coliseum or whatever the heck it's called nowadays will inspire him to get out of there that very well so. might I be the so for oakland a's fans <laughs> they don't have a lot to root for yeah so. get us some prospects he better not be terrible like get I us some prospects with trevor may please i just didn't think he'd probably have his get a chance of getting hurt as harvey so that's why i wanted harvey yeah, yeah. yeah. No, no you got fair <laughs> point. strategy <laughs> oh you want the guy that want who's more likely to get hurt not gonna be pitching. yes <laughs> he's gonna be my team but he's not gonna hurt me yeah, oh I got you. Yeah, the thing about Trevor May, I'm going to harp on him a little bit more, is he seems like he has the personality to be 
a closer, Big in, even for a bad team, to be the center of attention, to be the guy that everybody's looking to, talking to, whether he's streaming or whether he's it, just tweeting or whatever. It feels that way in April, but by August, you don't want to be that guy anymore, especially <laughs> in Oakland. Do I have to go out in front of the microphones again and explain why we got destroyed? No, I don't want to be that guy. Well, hopefully for his sake, he's not in Oakland in August anyway. <laughs> All right. I think that's enough awkward situations that I'm going to put you guys in for one podcast. So I really appreciate you guys playing along here. And that's ultimately, I think that's going to wrap it up though. Jake, thank you so much for filling in for Kevin. Why don't you remind everybody what you got going on? Like you said, you just dropped the article over at Pitcher List. I know you're over at Athletes Hub. Anything you're working on before the end of the spring training that we should be watching out for? I just want to say thanks for having me on, first of all. And I, this is one of the top Pitcher List podcasts. I hope you, I wish you guys all the best of luck in the podcast tournament. <laughs> Unfortunately, in the pen, didn't make it. Next year, though, next year, though, we're going to win. Yeah. But yeah, th- thanks for having me on, first of all. Second of all, yeah, I'm working on all kinds of stuff articles for pitcher list all kinds of stuff all over the place the athletes hub i'm hoping to put out some rankings articles before it's too late before those are totally obsolete but uh, yeah i do a podcast over there called free baseball where we go every week wednesday after 9 p.m eastern time general baseball podcast it's a lot of fun we just we like to meme around a little and just talk about the news and all kinds of stuff and yeah, outside of that, just doing playing time analysis for Baseball HQ, which great website. I'm sure Doug can vouch for me on that one. <laughs> yeah, happy to. Yeah. So you can get me at on Twitter at DougDennis41. I'm, I hang out there quite a bit. I will be on tomorrow at Baseball HQ's having a, like a pod marathon, whatever, streaming thing. I'll be on with Greg Jewett at uh, 1.30. That'll be fun. I always like hanging with Greg. Just like I like hanging with you guys. Now, this was fun. I actually enjoyed this a lot. So thanks for having me on. Yeah, I appreciate it. And uh, just finished up first pitch, like you alluded to it, glazed it over earlier in the show. But how was uh, how was Florida? How was first pitch Florida? How did that go? It was good. It was it was really good. I only went to one game is the problem for me. I don't go into more games, but I could only be there for a short amount of time. But we it was action packed. There was presentations left and right. There were a lot of great, smart people in the room. And at this time of year, everybody's in the middle of drafts and doing different things. One of the things that I love about the fantasy baseball community is that people aren't, unless you're in high stakes guy trying to win the overall, you're not keeping everything close to the vest. You're just mm-hmm. like, this is what I think. This is how I'm doing it. Whatever. Especially people who are putting out content. They're just very interested in what everybody else is thinking and they want to tell you what they're thinking and it's fun. It's really fun to mm-hmm. be in that kind of environment. It's fun in the fall when we're in Arizona, but it's even more fun this time of year because everybody's right in the middle of it. And we're talking about the drafts we're in as we speak those kind of things so i really enjoy that a lot and so it was great yeah i can imagine that mentality between arizona and florida and the time of year when those happen the conversations are quite different as far as where you are in drafting as you pointed out Yes. All right. If you, if anybody listening is not aware, yes, make sure that you are checking out the first pitch events that the, the baseball HQ puts out, of course, in Arizona in the during the fall fall league and in during spring training in Florida. And it's yeah, for, you've heard us talk about it on this show many times. I have yet to be have the pleasure of attending one of them. Hopefully, I will change that next year. Yeah. Kevin's been a whole bunch, and obviously can attest to how much fun they actually are. Check those out. Check out Baseball HQ and all the work that these guys are doing there. Of course, at pitcherlist.com, all the articles that Jake's putting out there as well. 
and listen to In the Pen and all the streams that Baseball HQ is doing as well this weekend. So a lot of content. March is no, is no, uh, you, you can find content if you look. <laughs> you don't have to look that hard. And these are two places that you're going to find some really good stuff. Make sure you're following both these guys on the Twitter. You can follow us on the Twitter at On The Wire Pod. Make sure you're giving us a rating review as well. That goes a long way. And that's going to wrap it up for episode 106 of On The Wire. Once again, I want to thank our guest, Doug Dennis, and my co-host today, Jake Crumpler, for joining us. I am, after all that, I am Adam Howe. On behalf of Kevin Hastings, thanks for listening, and we bid you goodbye. Goodbye.